Um, some serious things to talk about this morning, but very uh, encouraging. Um, it, was a, it was an honor, as I said in the Inu Hope, it was an honor to be able to take uh, Matt uh, to the Westminster Rescue Mission. And if you didn't get it, it's in the Inu Hope. Um, the only uh, correspondence that he's allowed there is written correspondence. He's not allowed to hear, uh, he's not allowed to receive phone calls, he's not allowed to receive visitors, even from me or his family, um, for this first month. So the only uh, encouragement he's allowed is written correspondence. Um, even if you've never met him, um, I just encourage you to, to write him and tell him how much you're looking forward to meeting him, um, Is is because uh, he just needs encouragement right now. Um, this is a... a it's a good program. It's a solid program, Christ-centered program. But to be honest with you, it, it's challenging. I mean, any of us would have a hard time uh, with this program that he entered into. Um, so uh, I'm sure he covets your prayers, uh, as do all of us. A couple of things I need to mention before we get into the sermon. Um, okay, the 4th of July is coming up. Um, and if anybody is interested in kind of um, being around here on that day, Catonsville is going to have a huge uh, um, parade. They do this gigantic parade every year. It's tremendous. It's like the, the most, like the biggest 4th of July parade in like the country. Um, it's awesome. Um, we as a, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, everything I hear about this thing is like, you haven't, you haven't experienced life until you've experienced the Catonsville 4th of July parade. So I'm, I have high expectations, <laughs> high expectations. Um, so at any rate, um, we are going to, the best way we could serve is by opening up our parking lot, um, and one of the things we're going to be handing out uh, as people park here for free, we're going to uh, encourage them to donate to Catonsville Emergency Assistance, and we're also going to um, give them uh, a prayer card um, with a really cool um, uh, uh, kind of a patriotic um, prayer, uh, God you know, blessing the country. Um, and then also we're going to get uh, guitar picks made with um, St. Hilda's uh, logo on one side and New Hope's logo on the other side and hand those out, or we might get two guitar picks, we haven't figured it out yet, we might get two guitar picks made, and like the Hildas will be the heavy guitar picks, and the New Hope will be not heavy, so it'll be medium, I don't know, we're trying to figure it out, Jason says, he's like, I want this to be the Barry Bonds, uh, Barry uh, Bail Bonds uh, pens versions of church, we want to hand these things out to everybody, everybody should have these guitar picks in your home. Um, there's a seminar, uh, by the way, today, if anybody's interested in learning more about the Episcopal Church, um, <clears throat> New Hope is partnering with the Episcopal Church and, um, uh, in this building, we're being their roommate, but if anybody's interested in how the, um, the service is put together and what they do, um, how the, what they do and why, um, you're welcome to uh, join Jason in the uh, cafeteria after the 11 o'clock service the lighter service, and uh, the Caffefellatorium, I'm sorry, um, and I think he's going to do, uh, Alan's going to be doing uh, props, and he's going to do all kinds of fun things with quiche, and there's, yeah, there's going to be food. Um, last thing is that um, next Sunday, we are going to have two special things happen next Sunday that you need to be aware of. Number one, um, since we've been in the building, we have not yet had an opportunity for the kids to have a lesson here, the young kids that all made that mass exodus earlier. Um, and we want to give them the opportunity to actually have their lesson here. So next week, when we dismiss, we're actually not going to dismiss the kids. The kids are going to stay here, but all of you are going to be dismissed. 
And what we're going to do is we're going to file out that door, and we're going to go around to the church office, and we're going to finish our lesson. We're going to get our lesson, our sermon, and our prayer time in Bellis Hall. And Bellis Hall will be nice and air-conditioned. It's, nice, it's a nice room. Um, but this is, does two things for us. First of all, it affirms the kids, like that, that we're able to be inconvenienced enough that, you know, that we would be able to leave and give them this space because they are as important as we are, right? Um, that we're able to affirm them, and that's really exciting. Um, the other thing is we want to keep you all on your toes, you know? Jesus is crazy, so you never know what's going to happen. So, okay, that is, well, I don't know. There's probably other things I'm forgetting, but that's all I'm going to say because we're ready to preach. Okay, please open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians the beginning of 1 Corinthians, because we're going to be all around. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, James Tavon is in the back. You can raise your hand. Oh, Chris has them right there. Raise your hand and put a Bible in your hands, because you're going to need one today very, very badly. We're going to do a little Pauline workout. So we're working through 1 Corinthians. Um, and what we've seen so far out of Paul in the first two chapters is a few things. First of all, we've seen him affirm the call of the church. They are sanctified in Christ Jesus. They are called to be saints. They're called into the fellowship of his son. They're called to be the church. You see, there's an intimate connection, we find, between who Jesus was and what Jesus did with who the church is, and what the church should be, what the church needs to be, what the church is being called to be. We're also seeing that there is a, an intimate connection. There's a connection between the revealing wisdom of the Holy Spirit that Nicole talked about last week. Wasn't she incredible? Um, that the revealing wisdom of the Holy Spirit with the simple and profound truth of the cross Paul says, I didn't come to you with eloquent and fancy words. I came to you with the scandal of the cross. The message of the cross is foolishness to Gentiles who seek power through Roman rule. The message of the cross is a stumbling block to Jews who try to attain the kingdom of God through the sword and not through sacrifice. No, no, God says. God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God, what is, uh, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, the things that are not, to reduce to nothing the things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of God. He is the source of your life in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God, and righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, in order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Archimedes said, give me a lever long enough, and I'll move the world. Well, historically, the cross was that lever. And now we who die with Christ are welcomed into resurrection, and then called into new life. See, Paul has endeavored to show us that He's endeavored to tell us that, that he brings nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. He knows nothing but Christ and Christ crucified. 
He's endeavored to call the church to what we might call cruciformity. That's a word that, that one day I would love if, the diction, if, the, uh, if, if Microsoft Word doesn't have that come up as a misspelling. That's a word that I think everybody in our church should know, cruciformity. That we might reflect God's love back into the world through an outpouring of self-sacrificial love and wisdom that comes not from the flesh, but rather from the Spirit of God. Let's be careful. Let's be very careful not to separate the wisdom that is revealed through the Holy Spirit from the sacrificial love of Christ's cross. You see, there is an intimate connection between who Jesus was and what Jesus did with who the church is and what the church needs to be. Lastly, in these first two chapters, we've seen Paul appeal to the church in Corinth that there be no divisions among them. Divisions over Paul's group and Apollos' group and Cephas's group, which is Peter, Peter's group, and then others, Christ's group, you know. You can imagine how that might be a problem. Paul was the apostle of the church. Apollos was this charismatic and, and trusted leader who grew the church. Peter, Peter was the rock the rock whom Jesus himself said, you'll be the cornerstone of my church. And of course, Jesus, well, you know, Jesus was Jesus. Why follow anybody but Jesus? The final line of chapter 2 tells us, for who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. You know, no one else was crucified for my sins. Why not look at the world through the eyes of Jesus, right? But what does that mean for the Pauls of the church? What does that mean for the Apollos' of the church and the Peters? And more importantly, what does that mean when he says, we have, not will have, but we have the mind of Christ? Now, at this point, the commentators are really, really like, like they have road signs literally in the commentaries. And they're saying, um, okay, before you get into chapter 3, like, don't go into chapter 3 without understanding that mind of Christ bit that's at the end of chapter 2. Before you get into what this stuff is, and that's some really frank, really difficult kind of words that we're going to look at in a second. Before you get into that, he's like, the commentaries are like, no, don't do it. You've got to understand the mind of Christ. And to do that, we look at Philippians chapter 2. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, Gas and Electric Power Company. Go eat popcorn. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, this is Paul writing to the church in Philippi, any consolation from love, any strength in the Spirit, any compassion or sympathy, make my joy complete, be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And here's the tick. Here's the, here's the trick. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself taking the form 
of a slave, being born in human likeness, being found in human likeness, he humbled himself and became obedient, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God also highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, there is an intimate connection between who Jesus was and what Jesus did with what the church is and what the church needs to be. And now Paul's going to go back to his original exhortation. And so, brothers and sisters, I could not speak to you as spiritual people, but rather as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you are not ready for solid food. Even now, you are still not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For as long as there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not of the flesh? and behaving according to human inclinations? Because when one says, I belong to Paul, and another, I belong to Apollos, are you not merely human? Now, I know it may be difficult for you all here in the 21st century to understand the nuances of first century culture and the idea that someone who is supposed to be a mature person in a society um, acting like whiny little bratty children. I know that might be hard for you all to imagine that, that somebody, you know, I know we're much more advanced now, but sometimes the first century doesn't translate as much as the 21st century, and you just got to make it work, you know. The reason why it's so important for us to consider Paul's understanding of the mind of Christ in relation to this text is because if we divorce humility from this, we run this deadly risk. We run a deadly risk of giving, away, giving way to elitism that is most certainly counter to Paul's point. Boasting about spiritual gifts and, and scholarly wisdom and, and doctrinal correctness and moral uprightness, it, it's possible that the church in Corinth thought that they were at the top of some sort of religious achievement scale. And now they were ready for Paul to, to kind of give them the goods. But no, Paul says, are you kidding me? You're nowhere near ready for the solid food that I can give you. You're acting like little children. So I have to feed you like little children. Hence the Gerber logo on the front of your bulletin. We'll get back to that. And Paul says, you want to know how, uh, how I know you're not ready? It's because of the jealousy. It's because of the quarreling that I see causing divisions among you, church. The real measure of spiritual maturity is unity and peace in community. And so I hear the Corinthian church responding to this. Please, Paul. Paul, you're being unreasonable. Divisions and quarreling and jealousy, that's all part of a you know, healthy competitive spirit. You know? Divisions and, 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 and kind of uh, getting back and forth with each other, it's all part of human nature. And Paul says exactly that's exactly my point, church. That is precisely what I wanted to tell you. How long will it take for you to know that I'm calling you to something better than humanity? The word translated jealousy is the word zealous. 
I've started Greek lessons this year, so you're going to start getting a little bit of that. Um, the word translates, it's the word zealos, which is elsewhere, it's, it's translated zeal, meaning fervor for a person, cause, or object. Zealos, it represents an intense, uh, perhaps single-minded effort with emotional energy focused toward a goal. So it could be said that I have zealos, I have a zeal for loving my wife. But turn with me to Philippians chapter 3. Chapter 3, verse 4. Even though I too have reason for confidence in the flesh, if anyone else has reason to be confident in the flesh, I have more. A, a circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, Pharisee, deal with that. As to the zeal, persecutor of the church. As to righteousness under the law, blameless. Paul's like, hey, you want zeal for God? You want confidence in the flesh? Well, I got it. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I'm a member of the chosen people of Israel, tribe of Benjamin. I'm a Hebrew to the bone. And you want someone to interpret God's law? I'm a Pharisee. You want zeal for God? Well, I persecuted those fools who think God's some crucified vagrant. But go to Galatians chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 13. You have heard, no doubt, of my earlier life in Judaism. I was violently persecuting the church of God and was trying to destroy it. I advanced in Judaism beyond many, other, uh, beyond many among my people of the same age, for I was far more zealous. I was far more zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. Paul says, hey, you want Judaism? I, I was first in my class. I'm zealous for the traditions of my ancestors. They were a special breed, a chosen people, and I was all about learning their ways and wisdom. Now, the kicker. Go to Romans chapter 10. I'm telling you, it's a Pauline workout today. I'm sorry. Romans chapter 10, starting in verse 1. Brothers and sisters, my heart's desire and prayer to God is for them, he's talking about the Jews, is that they might be saved. I can testify that they have a zeal for God, but it is not, and what's the word you have there? Enlightened. It's not maybe based on knowledge or something to that effect. The Greek word there is the word epigenosis or epignosis, depending on your translation. Um, epigenosis is distinguished like knowledge. There's knowledge. There's knowing about something, and then there's epigenosis. There's knowing something with it. Like, like in and out. It's experiential knowledge. I um, might have uh, seen a picture of the Grand Canyon, and I, so I know I have a knowledge, I have a gnosis about what the Grand Canyon looks like. But Jason and Mary, they took a, they took a trip to, to um, the Grand Canyon, and they actually got to see it for themselves last year or two years ago, so they have epigenosis about it. Or, you know, somebody might know about, you might hear the guitar being played, but then when you actually learn how to play the guitar, it's experiential uh, wisdom, and now you have epigenosis. Paul's saying that they had that zeal. There's that zeal that's there, and there's that zeal that'll make you want to do something, that, that you'll know about something, you'll have a, a passion towards it, but then there's epigenosis. There's a foundation that you're missing. There's some kind of wisdom. There's some kind of mindset. There's some kind of thought process that you're missing, that your zeal, no matter how much zeal you have, you're not getting there. 
And that is why we need the mind of Christ. That's why Philippians 2 that we looked at first was so important. The word enlightened. I I talked about that, sorry. Um, If you want to truly express your faith, you'll need to be fueled by a different sort of wisdom. It'll need to be fueled by the mind of Christ, which, as we saw earlier, is centered on the cross. When zeal for God is partnered with the Spirit-revealed wisdom of Christ crucified, that fruit is unity and peace. And that's how Paul knows that they're not ready for solid food. Their zeal is producing quarreling. Now, the word jealousy there is used in the translation because jealousy is actually the relational manifestation of zeal. I have a zeal, like I said before, for loving my wife. And let me be honest with you all, I have no interest whatsoever in any of you having the sort of relationship that I have with my wife, that you, that you would have the, that kind of relationship. And exactly, I don't want you to epigenosis my wife. And I'm good with that. Exactly. So I'm jealous for her. The problem would arise is that whenever my jealousy becomes so self-centered, so resentful, so envious, that my zeal for loving her becomes destructive and gets in the way of her well-being or her service to God's kingdom. If I enter into the zeal with the mind of Christ, then it's going to look like I'm pouring myself out for her benefit. See, here's the thing. Corinth is not necessarily worried about silly or inconsequential items. We would do the first century Corinthian church a disservice and an injustice to assume that their quarrels were petty. Based on the rest of Paul's later, they were probably asking some pretty darn good questions. They were just too immature for the answer. How do we attain divine wisdom? What actions constitute idolatry? What sexual norms should be observed in marriage? How should manifestations of the Holy Spirit function in a worship service? What's the meaning of the resurrection? These are mature questions, and they deserve mature answers. But Paul's saying you can't answer, you can't answer mature questions with these immature answers. When you do that, when you do that, you wind up with these silly, immature political rhetoric. Like, well, I follow Paul, and I'm a real Christian, I follow Christ. And in our days, we have those same questions for Uh, that the church in Corinth have. We haven't sewn up any of that stuff. We're also asking questions like, what does it mean for my life and my faith to say that the Bible is the inspired Word of God? What's the relationship between between science and faith? What's the boundaries to human sexuality? How do I vote and engage in discourse in a God-honoring way? Folks, these are good questions, and they deserve the mature reflection of a mature people that are saturated in the Word and saturated in prayer. So what it seems to me that Paul is doing here is he's differentiating between a simple truth, one that is profound, one that is short, one that is simple, and one that is immature, that one is rhetoric. The simple and profound truth happens when Um, it it, it manifests itself through mystery. 
It gives way to mystery. The simple and profound truth gives way to diversity, diversity of the gifts. The simple and profound truth gathers folks around the simple but profound image of the cross and say that we all fall short of the glory of God, but we're all called to be together here. We're all sinners and we all need the cross. That's a simple but profound truth. But the immature rhetoric, that's based not on diversity, but on divisions. The simple, um, the, the immature rhetoric, it builds up walls. It says, you worship God over there, I'll worship God over here, and man, do we see it in the church today. We find over and over and over way, again, ways to cause divisions among our church, and to cause, among Christ's church. May New Hope be a church that is of the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Because while simple and profound truth is manifest through faith, this immature rhetoric, it comes from fear. And as a wise man says, fear leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering. Maybe Paul is saying to the church in Corinth, I sense much fear in you. May we never believe the lie that we're not called to pour out ourselves to others. May we never believe that lie. We're going to close now with uh, out a song because we're out of time. Um, but would you please close, uh, stand for closing benediction? <laughs>